0: Welcome to the Lift Church podcast. We pray that this message encourages you and inspires you to live up to your God-given potential. Well, we are finishing off what we have called Vision Month. We haven't really given a theme title, but we've been just packing out vision over the last month. And I think it's been really exciting. Uh, And to finish off, I have a question for you. And the question is this, and this is for you individually. We've been talking about us as a church quite a lot, but for you individually, how do you know that you are on the right path? Do you have an end goal in mind? Do you have something that you wish to achieve? Is there something that is on your heart to do while you are living on earth? You see, the thing that I've realized in my life is that when you understand the direction that you are heading, it allows you to get there as quickly and as efficiently as possible. We don't want wastage in our life. We don't want to be wasting 10, 20 years doing something and then realizing one day, man, this sucks. I wanted to do that, but then somehow the urgent things got into my life or these pursuits actually got me derailed. And I didn't really want to do that, but somehow I ended up down in that path. And so I believe that understanding a direction, knowing and being able to check that you are going down the right path is something that is so important in our lives. And that is why I love smartphones. Who here has got a smartphone? Maybe I should ask, who here doesn't have a smartphone? Who's got a dumb phone? All you Android people, put up your hands. Who's got a... Microsoft, rubbish. I'm passionate about Apple. So today I'm talking about, no, I'm not talking about, but I'm talking, uh, I really thank God for smartphones, because before smartphones, when you had to go somewhere, you needed to check up a physical map. Yeah? And there were many years that I had to do that. And I'm, I'm actually a really smart fella. I got straight distinctions and high distinctions all through my uni life. I, I remember things that I studied 10 years ago today. You can ask the, the youth training team. Uh, every Friday night, I'm telling them new stats and not stats, but like stuff about psychology that I studied all those years ago. But when it comes to direction, my brain completely checks out. Completely. Absolutely. I need to go to a place at least eight times before I know how to get there. I'm being serious. I don't know if you've got this illness like me. God has not healed me of it. I'm still praying it through. But I don't know. I just can't do it. And I realized that this amazing inability of mine uh, to to remember direction and to get myself places uh, actually developed into a fear into my life. It actually stopped me from doing things that were important. Um, so, for example, I was a youth leader, and as part of my role as a youth leader back in the day was to do the pickups and drop-offs. And I would do anything to get out of doing them. I would volunteer to set up by myself. I would pack down. By my, I'll lead games. I'll preach. I'll I'll do everything during the night so that I would not have to do it. Why? Because. It scared the crap out of me. I, I was so scared of getting lost, and and I just could not work myself around. And I think even the the youth started to pick up that this guy is a bit of a doofus when it comes to direction. And so when we go somewhere else and we needed to get them home, uh, and they're directing me because I've got no idea uh, Canning Vale in relationship to Spearwood. It's like it might as well have been like Singapore and Antarctica. I don't know how you're supposed to get there. But the kids would direct me, and somehow by Coincidence, you will end up in a Mackie's parking lot. And so, how do we get here? What happened? And uh, even worse was when I dropped them off, then, then what? Do I call RAC? <laughs> what happens from here? So when, when, when phones came out with maps on them, and not just maps, but it gives you the best possible route. It tells you there's a jam over there. There's a road closure over there. And it allows you to plot your way forward. That was a lifesaver for me. Now, I, now I've got no qualms going to places as long as I've got a phone. I've gone to Telstra so that I can go anywhere in the country as well. And there should be reception. And um, I, I've done all those things to release me to be able to live my life. When we have no direction, when we are scared of where we are going, we become risk averse. We become so scared. We start to settle for second best in our lives. And therefore this morning... I want to put forward to you a a framework that I believe will help you determine whether you are on the right path or not. I can't tell you your unique uh, destiny, your unique plan. I do 100%, 110% believe that you are called to a life of significance. I believe that you are called to do something amazing with your life. And I can't tell you exactly what it is. That's your adventure, and that's something that you have to work out, but I believe that There is a framework that God provides for us to know whether we are on the right path or not, or whether we need to make some corrections. This is something that I discovered a few years ago, and it started out because I was just reading my Bible, and I got to Matthew 25, 31 to 46. And I don't have time to read the whole passage today. Um, So I'm going to just give it a quick summary. And basically what happened in this passage is that Jesus was teaching about what happens when he comes back um, from heaven. You See what happens that Jesus died for our sin rose again from the dead stayed around for a few weeks and then went back to heaven and he gave us a bit of an understanding of what is to come when he comes back we call it the day of judgment it is not a terminator thing it is not a nuclear war it is jesus coming back and he's going to be uh, giving out a judgment you are going to be held accountable for your life so if you want to know how you're supposed to end up in your life this is a pretty good passage But when I was reading this, I didn't like what Jesus was saying. Because this is what Jesus said. He said that he would separate people into, as an analogy, into the sheep and the goats. He would separate the sheep... From the goats, and then he would speak to the sheep and he would say to the sheep, It's on the screen, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food, I was thirsty and you gave me drink, I was a stranger and you welcomed me, I was naked and you clothed me, I was sick and you visited me, I was in prison and you came to me. And these sheep, the righteous ones, would then answer that they don't ever remember doing any of those things. And Jesus would then say, truly I say to you, as you did to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Jesus then went to the goats and said the complete opposite. He said to the goats, you saw me hungry, thirsty, naked, in prison, and you did nothing. And the goats replied, when do we ever see you and not do this for you? And then, same kind of response. And as uh, I was reading this passage, there was a conflict going on inside of my heart. And what was, going, what was going on was that this didn't sound like the God that I knew. And this didn't sound like it sat in the right place uh, with, with, with the rest of Scripture. We know strongly, is repeated again and again, that our salvation is through faith by grace by grace through faith that is something that we continue to hold on to if you're freaking out when you're here today it's like what's this guy teaching that we should all be selling our houses and giving all the money to the poor no no no, that's not what i'm saying it might come to that, but not yet. To Follow me along with this. But the, uh, again and again in the Bible, it says that God is love. God gives us salvation as a gift. It is not something we are supposed to earn. But yet in this passage, Jesus is saying that on the day of judgment, we are going to be separated into those who did good works versus those that did nothing. Pretty scary, isn't it? How much good works is good enough? That's something we're going to be exploring over Easter. It's going to be good fun, just projecting a couple of months ahead. But, but how good is good enough? And when I was reading this passage, I was like, you know, I'm one of those guys that can watch a compassion ad. I can watch kids that are in absolute poverty, with a distended stomach and all of that, and feel absolutely nothing. I do not get empathy Compassion is not a gift of mine. So when God's saying that to be part of the sheep, I need to be doing those things, I was like, I am in trouble with a capital T. How do I know that I'm doing enough good? If doing good is the finish line, is the prize, I, I was a bit worried that I wasn't going to make it. But yet, Jesus seemed to be pretty clear about this. And so I was mulling this over. I was thinking about this. I was chewing this over. And I continued to read the Bible, which is always a good thing. You never read one passage by itself. You continue to see its context. You, you make sure that it's in line with the rest of the Word of God. And so I got to the very next chapter. And in Matthew 26, 6 to 13, we have this really interesting um, uh, event happen. I'm going to read it to you because it is really cool. And it says this, Now when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? for she has done a beautiful thing to me for you will always have to pour with you but you will not always have me in pouring this ointment on my body she has done it to prepare me for burial and this passage feels a lot more at home this feels a lot more like the Jesus that I know. The Jesus that, that is nice, that protects the uh, the, the downcast, protects the um, the the underdog. This is nice Jesus and, and you know I've read this passage so many times and whenever I read about the uh, the disciples going wide is waste, I'm like, man, you follow this Jesus dude, physically, the son of God physically for a couple of years, and you still have the guts to say to to this woman who was sacrificing something so precious and saying, why this waste? Is anything a waste when we give it to God? Is it? No. We sing our lungs out. We, we give off 10% of our income as a tithe to worship our God. That's what we as Christians do. But the, but the disciples in this passage said, Why is waste? And that stuck with me for a little while. And I began to see something. Maybe the disciples aren't that bad. Because they were simply possibly acting out of what Jesus had just told them. If Jesus, uh, if they, rem- if, if they were listening to Jesus, Jesus said that your actions, the stuff that you do, is going to be what separates you and and, and and sets you up for eternity. And so right now, it doesn't. It's not a big jump to, to to believe that the disciples were simply acting out of what they had just learned. Are you following me? They they heard. Be good to the poor. Give money to the poor. They saw a woman giving out a really expensive perfume. I'll talk about that in just a moment. And, and, and the disciples just say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to chalk up some brownie points for me right now. That should be given to the poor. Makes sense, doesn't it? You know, sometimes we think so simply at how things work, but Jesus is on a whole other level. And he says to the disciples, she has done a beautiful thing. She has done a necessary thing. And through this, I began to see that Jesus was not teaching His disciples that your actions are the be-all and end-all in your life. Your actions are not the thing to aim for. There is something deeper, something more meaningful, something more powerful. And that thing that God put on my heart, He he, he reminded me that that block is actually a block of God's lordship over our lives. See, this perfume that this woman brought to Jesus was actually uh, something that women in that culture, they would save up for and then they would buy it. It would cost a year's wage. A year's wage. That's how expensive this perfume was. And they would keep this perfume and they would use it on a very special occasion. For example, her wedding day. When this woman came to Jesus and broke this jar that she had been saving up for so long for and pouring it out on Jesus, she was actually saying to Jesus, I'm submitting and devoting my life to you. And Jesus was saying that that devotion and that commitment to Him was more important than your actions. The place that you give Jesus in your life is more important than the things that you do, whether it's for Him or not. And I believe that this is a missing block in our world today because we love being in control of our own lives. Giving God lordship is not an easy thing. And so, you know, we we say this thing called a sinner's prayer to invite Jesus into our lives. The Bible teaches us if you confess your lips and believe in your heart uh, that Jesus is uh, Lord, you will be saved. And and so we, we say, Jesus, I love you to be my savior. But we also add this word Lord in that prayer. But how many of us truly mean it? When we say to Jesus, Jesus, be my Lord and Savior, are you seeing Jesus wearing a crown with the ruling scepter of your life and saying, okay, you saying that I'm going to be your Lord, I'm wanting to call you to do that thing. Are you going to say yes to your Lord? Are you going to say no, 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 no. Just be Savior for today, God. I don't like you touching that area of my life. I think our culture has lost its sense of Jesus first, of God first, a God first attitude and a God first life. But then I was thinking about that and and, and something else stood out to me because Jesus actually said something really interesting because he said, in pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial, which is a really strange thing extremely strange because he wasn't dead yet no one was literally putting a gun to his head not that guns existed 2,000 years ago no one's putting a nail and a hammer to his head he was not in danger of his life and yet in this context he says she is preparing me for burial and god began to stir something in my heart there is one reason why this woman would be as extravagant in her show of devotion and love to Jesus. And that's because she knew that he loved her. See, other, this, this story appears in all four Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And some of the other Gospels gives us an understanding that this woman was possibly a former prostitute, maybe even still a practicing prostitute. This was a person who was an outcast, who was labeled unclean, labeled a sinner, was not allowed to be anywhere close to God. Yet Jesus reached out to her. At some point during her life, she experienced a grace so magnificent, so overwhelming, that when she saw jesus she knew that this was a god who loved her and would do anything for her maybe she even got an insight that this man this son of god was actually going to go to the cross to die for her and that's why she was going to him and saying here lord i worship you i began to see That God doesn't call us into lordship as a dictator. He doesn't call us to lordship simply because he can, and he can. If he's created you, he knows how to make you do anything that he wants you to do. But he doesn't. And that's because Jesus is motivated by love, and something that he taught while he was on earth is that he said, he who has been forgiven much loves much. Do you know how much you have been forgiven? I didn't for many, many years. I thought that I had most of my life in control. I thought that I had it all together. I didn't really think that Jesus needed to clean me that much. I grew up in a good family. But one day God began to show me how much he loved me. One day he began to show me how much um, he he had pursued me even before I was born. He knew that I would let him down. He knew that I I, I would stuff things up along the way, but he still chose to love me. And so God began to put these three elements together in my mind. And it formed a bit of a framework that I want to present to you today. If you want to know whether you are going well, if you want to know whether you are uh, uh, heading on the right path, you need first, first block. I'm going to see how well I go at juggling these things. But the first block is understanding God's love for you. That's the first block. You don't start anywhere else. Your relationship with God starts Because you have an understanding of His love for you. As I've just explained, as i just mentioned, that for me, that block wasn't always that strong. That block wasn't going that well. And when that block doesn't go well, the second block is called lordship. We build lordship upon God's love for us. And if that block is shaky, God's lordship of us starts to look a little bit despotic. It starts to look a little bit crazy. It starts to look a little bit like a massive sacrifice. But if we understand God's love for us, Lordship comes naturally if you know that God truly has plans and purposes to prosper you, to give you a hope, then you would trust Him. You would know that, God, I can allow you to do that. I'm going to allow you to bring me through that. You know, I'm not immune to difficult situations. Last year, we tried to sell a house. We are still living in that same house. Our house was on the market for a whole year, and that was difficult. It was disappointing, but I still have lordship. I still have Jesus as my Lord because I have been building a foundation of understanding His love for me. You do not build lordship on power, you don't build lordship on control, you build lordship on understanding that Jesus is love, there's nothing else the Bible says God is this, particular, uh, putting it together, but the Bible says in 1 John, it says that God is love, you cannot relate to God without understanding his love for you, but then on top of love, you have lordship, you give him control, and on top of lordship, you have your purpose. This is not working. I even chose the numbers. You see that first, second and third? It's pretty smart. Come on, guys. spent a long time on this. I didn't have a microphone, so I would have practiced this a bit more. Maybe I'll do this. There we go. The third block is our purpose. When Jesus was saying that at the end of our lives, our actions are what count, he meant it. The Bible teaches us that faith without works is dead. If we say, God, I trust you with my life, but I'm not going to do the things that you call called me to do, then you've taken off the top block. You've taken off the thing that completes your life. You're taking off the thing that, 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 that puts this whole framework together. Our faith is not for us to simply sit at home and do nothing about. Our faith is actually so that we can live it out. There is a purpose by which you live, but that purpose is actually locked in into a framework of understanding God's love for you and understanding His Lordship over your life, and then you get to build your purpose. God began to show me that if any of these blocks are out of position, and I have been very deliberate about putting them in this position, it's because, if, I already mentioned this, but if we take love out, we have got nothing to stand on. What we've got is legalism. What we have got is all old school religion that tells you that you need to perform, that you need to earn God's trust, that you need to earn salvation, which the Bible tells me again and again and again is false. Love is the foundation. But if we take out lordship, which many of us in our world has done, we end up with a life that is completely lost his drive because the only thing that uh, that you will be living for when you take out God's lordship over your life is yourself. You'll be self-motivated by your own desires. You know why so many people are depressed? Because they've got no lordship over their life. They don't know what is the best plan, what is the best purpose, and so they end up building little lives locked in their little houses because their whole lives is motivated by fear and motivated by how do I look after myself their actions is completely self-motivated God doesn't want that kind of action God doesn't want you giving to the poor because you're trying to earn brownie points he wants you to live under his protection under his lordship lordship is not scary when you know that is done out of love in a married relationship, the Bible teaches us that a wife is to be submitted to the husband and he is to be the head of the household. I know that's controversial, some of you don't like it, but guess what? It's the truth. But what the Bible also says is that the husband is to love his wife the same way that Christ loved the church, which is how he died. Now, many guys, let me stop you right here. Because you think that that's an easy thing to say because no one will ever be throwing a grenade at you. Am I right? I'll catch a grenade. Like, where? Are you going to go to Iraq and catch a grenade? Oh, what the heck? No, no, no. That sacrificial love looks like you taking the effort to do something you don't want to do, like taking out the trash. It's like you sacrificing time to spend time with your kids. You're not babysitting, you're their dad. It's it's love. It's like, I'm going to let go of my personal desires to see your best. And it's out of that love that a woman is able to say, okay, I trust you enough to lead. And in the same way, that is supposed to mirror our relationship with God, that I trust that you love me and He actually did die for me. And so I can trust my life to Him and it's only with those two blocks like I mentioned if you take that out you do not have a life you have a I don't know You're sitting around doing crap all. I'm sorry. But I get passionate about this. I'm like, so so, so you think you love God. Yes. And you know that God has a purpose for you. Yes. What is it? Um, To to do nothing. It's like, no, no, no. God's actually called, called, called you to do something. Maybe for you that something is so scary. But if God is your Lord, you can trust Him. It's a plan that has got empowerment, anointing behind it. This is the life that God has called us to live. If you want to know whether you are on the right path, evaluate. How's your understanding of love going? I love that even doing this message this week brought me back to this. And I started to see some areas that have formed cracks in my life. Some areas where I forgot about how much God loves me and how He was providing for me and how, how, how He's always there, how He's faithful, how He's merciful, how He's gracious. And then I started to realize that I also have got some areas that I don't want to give God control and, and I've been taking that away. And that's why I've been feeling a little bit confused about what I'm meant to be doing in my life. But as I began to spend time with God and allow Him to speak His love to me again, and I began to give control back to him things just start to get back into order i'm not saying it's going to be easy i'm not saying that it's like a light that shines on your path and you just get to follow the light without thinking no, no no that's not it but it's that internal conviction that i am on the right path i am doing what god's called me to do in my line of work i get criticized every now and then and it's okay It wouldn't be okay if I didn't know who loved me and who called me. I'll be so scared of you guys. I'll be so scared about whether you will come back next week. I'll be so scared to tell you the truth because the truth hurts, the truth bites, and you might not come back next week. And that scares me. But when I know that God's called me, that this is His church, it's not mine, I get to do this without fear i 'm not risking anything because God's got me. I love last year we had uh, uh, Ahmed come and speak to us, and he said something that was really like this is really cool. he said it's scarier to not take the risks and to actually not be in god 's will it's scarier to say no to the things that God's calling you to because you 're actually stepping out of his lordship and his covering when you have God. In your life, where you say, God, you have control over whatever's going on, I am willing to say yes to you and to you alone, things begin to come back into order. And how the rest of your life looks like is that you begin to grow. You continue to lay more that foundation. You begin to give God more and more control. And then your purpose begins to unfold. It's a growing process. I'm still growing, like I mentioned. There's still things in my life that are not quite right. And there's still times where I need to keep working on stuff. So this never finishes. If you can imagine, it just keeps multiplying and growing. But always in this order. Always in this order. When you do it out of order, the fear comes in. The doubt comes in. But when it's built in this way, you've got a firm foundation. Can I just ask you this morning as the band comes up, how are you going? Don't think about the person to the left or your right. Don't think about that friend that should have been here today. Don't think about anyone else. Think about you. Does God's love for you still drive you to tears? Does God's love for you still wow you or have you lost that wonder are you in a familiar stale relationship with god or is it vibrant and fresh his mercies are new every morning his grace is sufficient does that mean anything to you i'm not talking about a feeling i'm talking about a conviction are you convinced that god loves you The number of people that sit in this very church, in one of these chairs and they will say, you know Nate I I heard what you said and I was like man I want that but I don't know if I'm good enough Here's, here's a news flash you're not good enough and that's why it's a gift of love the first block isn't how much you love God the first block is knowing, growing in that revelation that God loves you Despite all your faults, despite all that darkness and that shadow side of your life, which we all have, he still chose to love. This is love that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How's your lordship going? Not your lordship. How's God's lordship over your life going? Have you given him control over those emotions? Those fears? Have you spoken to him about it? Have you said, God, I really struggle to trust you. God, this situation sucks. I wish that guy would look back at me when I look at him. That's not me, I didn't say that. (laughs) So, why am I still alone? Why am I still single? Why is that job still not opening up for me? Why Why are my kids like this? How, how have you been devoting and committing those things to God? It's often the little things that matter. Because a lot of you guys here have already said, God, I want to follow you. And that's amazing and that's fantastic. But I'm talking about growth here. I'm talking about your next step and your next step might be that you're still holding back that part of you you're so scared to let God take control maybe you know that he loves you but maybe for you it's you're just not used to it most of us are not used to someone else being in control of our lives but let me tell you Jesus leads gently with much grace and much love following Jesus is like a dance i don't like dancing but it's like a dance he's leading me on this adventure on this movement that is beautiful that is adventure that is something to behold when it's in sync but when you don't let Jesus lead the whole dance falls apart how are you going at living out your purpose Now, some of us are still exploring what that purpose is. But I believe that even right now, you already know that God has placed certain things in you. Are you saying yes to that? It's not just about selling your house and giving all your money away. But it's about knowing that God, you have a plan. And that plan is not just for me to feel comfortable, but it's for me to be doing something. So are you living out your purpose, or have you stalled a little bit? Have you got a little bit familiar with it? Or is your commitment to it wavering? I know these are big questions, and I really do hope that you spend a bit of time before the year really cracks on. As it is, Feb's gone. Got two more days of Feb. And you're a sixth of the way through the year. 2017 will be gone like that. And next year, you might be sitting here. And when you look at yourself, have those things been growing? Or have you been stalled? Are you doing something about your life? This morning, before we go any further, I would like to introduce people to this Lord and my Saviour, who is a good God. See, this Jesus was actually the Son of God sent to earth to take the form of a man so that He could be the perfect sacrifice and the perfect substitute for me. Because God knew that I would never be good enough, I would never be perfect enough to be in relationship with Him. And so He sent Jesus, and Jesus was that perfect sacrifice. And because of Jesus, I can live a life of meaning and I can live a life of purpose. And that is what Jesus desires for each and every one of us. And the first step is to invite Jesus into your life as your Lord and your Savior. To get those first two blocks going in your life. So what I'm going to do is to count as Three. If everyone's going to close their eyes, it's just going to be a personal moment. And at the count of three, put your hand up and then back down again. Is this so that we know who we're praying for? Is this so that we are able to put a, a bit of a gift in your hand? But it's also a sign of saying, yes, I am committed to this. So I'm going to count to three now. One, two, three. Is there anyone here who would like to invite Jesus into their life as their Lord and their Savior? fantastic awesome let's say this prayer together dear heavenly father I know I've sinned I know I've fallen short but I invite you into my life be my Lord and my Saviour wash me clean make me whole give me purpose again amen thank you for tuning in today if you would like to find out more about lift Check out our website at theliftchurch.com.au